0: There's not one of us here, I would hazard a guess, who would be completely happy with who we are. We would like to be more caring maybe, more loving, uh, more disciplined. Anybody here feel they're disciplined enough? They don't need more discipline? There we go, I'm seeing some smiles. Uh, We'd love to love God more, to pray more, to be more filled with the Holy Spirit. Uh, We'd like to lose character weaknesses we might have, and so on, filled with joy and hope. In short, all of us would like to be more Christ-like. And so the real question then is, how do we grow? And today, I would like to understand what the Bible says about how we should grow and change. And I'd like to work on that process right now. So how does change happen? There are many ideas out there, and um, non-Christian world is also very interested in this, and one of the most be- best-selling categories of books today is what we call self-improvement or self-help. And I did a quick Google, and you can see books like How to Change Your Life in the Next 15 Minutes. How about that? I can only promise the next 30 minutes, I'm afraid. But uh, Then we have... Um, Switch, how to change things when change is hard. You just throw a switch. Um, mind hacking, uh, this says how to change your mind for good in 21 days. 21 days, they've just been promised 15 minutes. Like, how do they need that much time? And it goes on, overcome addictions, conquer fear, fix your relationships, improve your career, and find happiness. In 21 days, not bad. Um, I'm not saying these books are without value, But if they really worked, then uh, why would we need more and more titles coming out in this field? And the same is true in Christian books. We see many Christian books about disciplines, techniques, steps, motivational Christian speakers. And uh, I want to say that, um, that many of these are good, I'm not being negative about them, but I'm trying to use this to illustrate this felt need that we all have to see change in our life. I've been reading and rereading the book of Colossians to see how change happens in people. The two books of Colossians and Ephesians are quite small, they're very similar, Paul wrote them to different churches, there's um, some a lot of commonality between them, and they're amazing because Paul tries to encapsulate the whole of what, how to live as a Christian in each of those books, and so Colossians is only four chapters, and in that Paul has tried to crystallize all that we need to know about the Christian life, absolutely amazing, And uh, so I'm going to focus on Colossians today, and I'm going to ask the question, how does Paul expect the readers to change on the basis of this book? And the answer surprised me. I found eight places where Paul talks about change in Colossians, and in every single one, there was the same surprising answer. So let's look at, and we're going to look at quite a few of these verses in Colossians, but particularly chapter 1, verses 4 through 6. So let's look at some of these words. I heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and the love which you have toward all the saints. I've underlined the, the words which are the fruit in our life that we're trying to get to. So the green underlines are like where we're going, what we want. Faith and love, because of the hope laid up for you in heaven, of which you have heard before in the word of truth, the gospel, which has come to you even as it's in the world, bearing fruit and growing, more of these growth words, even as it does among you since the day you heard and came to recognize the grace of God in truth and your love in the spirit. So the fruit here is this faith, hope, and love, and the image here is of a growing plant. The the plant is growing, but what makes it grow? Can you see in those verses what is the source of the growth of this plant? Look at verse 4, look at the because. Because of the hope laid up you in heaven of which you've heard before in the word of truth. Of the Gospel, so is that someone at the door? Okay, right, Thank you. <laughs> um, in the word of the truth of the Gospel. See, so I wanted to see how this fits together, and I've underlined in red, marked in red, all the ones now that talk about the truth. So we have, because of the hope laid up for you in heaven, which you heard before, in the Word of truth, the Gospel, and then the end of verse six, the grace of God in truth. And it seems what he seems to be saying is that the word is the source of the growth which produces fruit. Do you see that? Um, so, in verse four, this faith and love become because of the hope that they've heard in the gospel. Because they heard this hope in the gospel, it bore fruit in this faith and love. And then he says the same thing. Verse six is bearing fruit and growing. Um, Because of this word that's come to them. Since the day they heard of the grace of God in truth. Now when I read this, it reminded me of something very clearly. um, The word of God bringing life. Where else do we have in the Bible the word of God brings life? In the beginning of Genesis. Let there be light. And there was light. God spoke. And the word brought the earth into existence so the old creation was made by God speaking and the spirit giving life to the word in the same way the new creation happens when we speak good news of Jesus Christ and this truth is like a seed which lands in hearts and grows and just like a seed it carries life in itself so let's just look back at this passage and see how this fits uh, if we look particularly at uh, verse 6, which has come to you, this word of truth, verse 5, has come to you even as it's in the world, bearing fruit and growing, even as it does among you since the day you heard. So the idea is the truth comes to them and it then grows and bears the fruit of this change in their lives. Now this isn't the only place, as I said, I found eight places in Colossians. I'm going to briefly look at some of the others just in case you're not convinced. Uh, 3, 9, and 10. You've stripped off the old man with his practices and have clothed yourself with the new man, being renewed in knowledge according to the image of him who created him. So the old man is the Adam that's in us and the new man is Jesus and we're renewed in the image of Jesus. Um, But what's causing this, he says, knowledge. Now this surprised me because uh, I've not in my life, maybe yours is different, but my experience isn't that Christians who know a lot of truth are always the most loving and Christ-like. Is that your experience? The more truth you know, the more loving and Christ-like you are? I wish that was the case. Um, sometimes it is, but often they're a mixture just like everyone else. I ran a Bible seminary for nine years And there were wonderful Christians amongst the faculty and students, but there were also the same immature, unspiritual people. And I'm sure if we did a scientific experiment which we measured people's biblical knowledge and we measured their growth as a Christian, we wouldn't see a really strong correlation, unfortunately. Um, Not if we just measured it in terms of, of an intellectual understanding. Um, I've been to a member of churches where there's an intense focus on the truth, but this doesn't necessarily result in wonderful fruits of growth and likeness. So I was surprised. Now, I would say that churches where there's a lot of error do tend to have some major problems. I would agree with that. And there's certainly a... a but I would say that... Um, uh, For Paul to say um, that truth is bringing this growth, I need to ask the question, what are you talking about, Paul? How does this match up with my understanding? Um, So... I mean, if you ask, if you look at the books that we have on how to grow as Christians, it will talk about things like discipline, prayer, worship, working through issues, and those things are very important, but Paul doesn't mention them once in Colossians here. Every single time he talks about growth, it's the same thing, it's truth. Here's another example. We also, since the day we heard, have not ceased praying for you and asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will, in all spiritual wisdom and understanding, so as to walk worthy of the Lord, and this is the result of being filled with the knowledge, in all ways to please him, in all good work, Bearing fruit and increasing in the knowledge of God. By the way, I've changed the word order here to match the Greek word order because it kind of gives a bit of a punch. This is the the, the 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 words in green start the phrase each time in the Greek. In all good work, bearing fruit and increasing in the knowledge of God. In all power, being empowered through His glorious strength. In all endurance and patience with joy, giving thanks to the Father. So that's a pretty good list of the kind of things we want, isn't it, as Christians? That's that's a good list. So, what enables the things in verse ten is being filled with this knowledge in verse nine. I'm going to give you a couple more. Colossians three sixteen. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and warning one another in all wisdom. And then Colossians uh, 2, 6, and 7, Therefore, as you've received Jesus Christ, Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him, rooted and built up in him and established in the faith just as you were taught. So again, this rooted idea of a plant growing up. Um, so the question then is, and I'm trying to rephrase this question for us, are we renewed by truth? Here's the problem. What Paul seems to be saying does not match up with many of our experiences. Knowing more facts does not make us grow. Nevertheless, this truth, this teaching, seems to be everywhere in the New Testament. For example, the parable of the sower, the seed that's sown is the word. Uh, We have Jesus saying, man does not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. John, you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. So, I'm going to, before I give you any answers to this, I'm just going to throw this out, and we're going to have a question time and answer time, and you can tell me how, how to resolve this, this, this problem. Listen to the second half of the sermon. Thank you, Bill. <laughs> Am I wrong? Am I? Is there no problem here? Are the people who have the most truth in their brains the, the, the most godly Christians? Yeah? Not just facts, it's understanding it. Okay, yeah? Okay. Parable of the sower says anyone who hears and does it. Okay, all right. Okay, Ruth. The truth is a person. Okay, the truth is a person. Jesus Christ, these are great answers. Yeah? We need the Holy Spirit to explain and, and help us walk in it. These are great answers. Okay. So you come up with some great things, um, and uh, uh, I'm going to, uh, to, to suggest to you two things that go wrong. Um, why many are not set free by the truth? Um, often people focus on peripheral truths and not the main truth. Like, for example, what's going to happen exactly before Jesus returns? Which is not, it's important, but it's not, it's not the key thing that, that changes your life. Uh, motivation is out of intellectual interest or pride. I want to know more so I can appear to be very knowledgeable about the Bible. Um, it's not just the truth that's needed, but a response in faith to the truth, as you were saying actually responding and you were saying as well it's it's uh, not just something and I think if we we're going to talk about heart knowledge as opposed to head knowledge which is what you said I think really that well, in practical terms that comes to what we do rather than what we rationalize so a third suggestion is that and this is in response to the spirit uh, it involves all of who we are Thoughts, emotions, and deep beliefs, and then um, uh, there is often not an expectation or an openness to this happening, and so it gets blocked out. So that's my summary there of of uh, what can, some things that can go wrong. So let's just look at the peripheral truths. The beginning do you remember anybody at Jesus' time who focused on peripheral truths and not the important truths and got very hung up on specific truths? The Pharisees, yes. So um, Jesus talked about them tithing mint and cumin and ignoring the important parts of the law. So that means they have a mint plant growing up, and so it's got five leaves, so I need to give 10% to God, so let's cut one leaf in half and give half a leaf to God. And like focusing on that rather than uh, God telling us to love one another and focusing on that. So that's one of the problems that that the Pharisees had. Um, When people who are proud of their knowledge people are proud of their knowledge of the truth it's usually the same kind of thing you know detailed prophecies in Ezekiel or um, but not the loving uh, uh, power of the spirit in their lives um, they may be great on solving apparent contradictions in, in the bible but not really don't really get that god is our father so i'm going to suggest to you a major problem then with is actually what kind of truth it is That we're learning. And the really important truths are the truths of how we relate to God, what it looks like to live like Jesus, and what is important rather than some fascinating intellectual problem we're trying to solve. Um, I would say um, that um, the the response, the power of the Spirit is extremely important in this. Um, But I'm going to go back and ask you uh, what are the main truths? So if I were to say to you, what would you say were the main truths you should know? How about Jesus died to cleanse sin, is alive right now, and his salvation is real? That's pretty central. Jesus loves me, nothing can separate me from his love. He really is all I need. The world around me will, will soon be gone. The new creation will be so much better, and I have an amazing inheritance to look forward to. God hates all sin and will judge the world. So we could probably come up with better lists than that, but that's just one I put down as some of the important truths. So um, I uh, I want to suggest to you that if that these truths, if we really take these in, actually do make a difference in the way we live. Would you agree with that? That if you really had these truths, you deeply connected with them it would make a difference to you. And um, for me, uh, I just talked for a bit about how some of these truths have made a difference in my life. At 17, I was not following Jesus. I was living my life for my own pleasure. And one of these truths here really riveted me and got hold of me and that was the truth that um, Jesus was going to judge the world, and one day I'd have to face him. Very simply, I, I realized this was true, and um, I had to make a choice. Uh, later on, um, I, I uh, had a choice. I could earn a lot more money if I continued my career in the computer industry, um, but I felt God was calling me into serving him and eventually leading a church. Which was that, which was I going to do? Well, I'm 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 not saying there's anything wrong in pursuing a secular career. In fact, that can be what God has called you to do. In many cases, it is. Um, but for me, it wasn't. So I was facing a choice of what I should do, and it's the truth that determines that choice. So, for example, um, the world around me will soon be gone. So if I'm living this life for financial reasons then uh, that is not a good reason. And if that's the reason I'm pursuing this career, then if I understand the wrongness of that thought, that is actually going to change the kind of career that I pursue. Um, so um, a number of years ago, my um, the, the vehicle that I had died, and I had to get another vehicle. And I was thinking, well, what vehicle should I get? Well, I was sitting in an office one day and I looked out in the parking lot and this is what I saw in the parking lot. And uh, maybe God was speaking to me and say, Andrew, you need a Lamborghini. Now, maybe he was. I, I probably would have had to mor- take out a second mortgage on my house to, to have bought it. But, you know, um, in the end, as you know, this is what I got, a Honda Fit, <laughs> which is out there. Um, but, um, What can you tell me? What what um, what truths should motivate me to buy the Honda Fit rather than the Lamborghini? Or what motive? What wrong motive could I have for buying the Lamborghini? And by the way, I'm not saying nobody should own Lamborghinis. Um, If you want to give me one, then cool with that. (laughs) So, but what what motivation should should? Sorry, what what truth would affect that choice of what car? Insurance higher insurance yes, but but you know isn't it worth it yeah okay, so uh, the belief that owning a Lamborghini might make me appear more important or feel better about myself, and that's I mean I think you've really got it that's really key there it's status symbol as we as we say, and so. Uh, so I'm taking the extreme choice here, but it was a choice. That I, well, I didn't seriously consider the Lamborghini, but you know, I was looking at a range of cars. Um, so, so I want to suggest to you that it was the truth of God that fundamentally I wanted to impact my choice of vehicle. And this also will impact every single choice that I make in my life, how I spend my time, how I spend my money, how I invest my, my, my life. And so, uh, this this truth is um, is the, the truth, rather, is what controls my actions. Uh, let me ask you another one. Um, uh, I, not that long ago, I was tempted to eat an extra chocolate dessert. Now, I am sure you can't identify with that at all, but uh, imagine you could identify with the temptation to eat an extra chocolate dessert. Um, what truth might speak into that question in my in my life? They're amazingly delicious, yes. Man shall not live by chocolate alone, okay. What else is there? What, okay, you've just given me some, uh, motivations for eating it. What should I have for not eating it? Um, is this body belong to me or does it belong to God? And, you know, do I, I mean, one chocolate is that might, might make a big difference, but what, those choices tend to snowball, don't they? And, you know, you keep on, and if you, if you're constantly um, eating or doing something else in a way that's just to satisfy your own, your own pleasurable feelings of your body, then um, and you're not and you're and that's actually making you less able to serve God with your body, because a large amount of chocolate puddings would probably, you know, interfere with my healthiness, and so. Um, what I'm suggesting then is that even little choices like that really come down to something quite fundamental: who owns my body? Who owns it? Where do I get my pleasure from? As Bill said, "No man shall live by chocolate pudding alone." Well, there's a truth behind that. It's actually: is my pleasure primarily sensual, or, or is it, are there better sources of pleasure? So, I want to suggest. So, these are some examples in my life where I would say that really it's the truth that has directed my behavior. And I want to suggest that no matter how many self-help programs you follow or disciplines or practices you follow, unless your truth is right, it's not going to really make a difference because you're going to drift back again. But if you have these truths firmly in you, then it's going to change. And so... um, I'm going to just show you uh, some other verses now from Colossians chapter 3, 1 through 6. And uh, these these really highlight what I'm saying fantastically. If therefore you were raised together with Christ. So here's the truth. The things above keep seeking, and again I've switched the word order there to reflect what the Greek is. The things above keep seeking where Christ is sitting at the right hand of God. The things above keep thinking about not on not on things on the earth. For you died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. What's really beautiful about both Colossians and Ephesians is they fall really neatly into two parts, right down the middle: theory, practice. And chapters one through two in Colossians are the theory. They're about the knowledge of Jesus, about what he's done for us, and this is the midpoint of the book. This is the the hinge between the theory and the practice, and Paul hinges it beautifully in this verse. If what I've been teaching is true about what Jesus has done with you, then this is what we're going to be talking about, about seeking the things that are above. And this is beautiful because he's drawing a straight line in this verse between the truth of the work of Jesus and what's happening with you right now. And so, if you are actually, although your body is on earth, in a spiritual sense, you are already in heaven with Jesus. Already there, you're already sitting at God's right hand in a spiritual sense, although you might not feel it. The Bible tells us that we are. So, that's where you're, your hope and your dreams in your life is and then i'm going to look at the next two verses when christ who is your life appears then you also with him will appear in glory so the the rest of you not just your in spirit but all of you will be there therefore put to death what is in you which is of the earth sexual immorality, impurity, lust, evil desire, and covetousness, which is idolatry. Because of these things, the wrath of God is coming upon the sons of disobedience. This is put so beautifully clearly. He's saying that your behavior now in these key areas are dependent on your view of what your future is. And if you really have that anchored, very, very soon I'm going to be with him. You know, just a moment. He could come so soon and I'm going to be with him in glory. That's where my life is going to be. Why should I give any attention to the bad stuff that's now? In fact, that stuff is going to be judged by God at the day of judgment. Not me personally, because I know my sins are washed away in Christ, but it's going to demonstrate God's anger with that kind of thing. Uh, So this is about the key facts and what effect it might have on them. So, what practical ways would our life be changed if we really believed these things? Like if we had them deep in our core and we reflected on these things, what would happen? Well, um, I believe that the spirit would make the seed of this truth come to life in us and bring fruit in our lives if we really get hold of this tightly. And um, what I'm going to do now, I'm going to ask Ruth and the, the, the rest of the worship leaders to come up now, and we're going to, in a minute, we're going to continue singing praise, but I'd like to just end by pushing this onto you, because this is a choice you have to make. Right now, I want to leave these verses up, and I want to... Pray through them right now, because you've got to make a decision today. Are you going to take these truths as what determines your life? Because this is how you grow. You grow out of taking in the important truths about who you are in Christ, about what is going to happen in the future, about being a member of the new creation. Are you going to do that? Or are you going to keep living out of an old set of values that you had before you were a Christian? Or if you're not a Christian today, you still have the same choice. Are you going to choose to follow Jesus and ask Him to to, to save you on the day of judgment? Verse three, uh, sorry, verse six. Uh, are you going to do that? So I, what I want to do to do now is to just read through these things, and I want you to take these verses in into your hearts right now. And I want, and I'm going to pray then that, that, that this, as we go out of this place, we change. We, we continue the process of change. If therefore you were raised together with Christ, the things above keep seeking where Christ is. The things above keep thinking about, not on things of the earth. That doesn't mean to say, you don't you're just thinking of heaven all the time, it means you're thinking of the the kingdom of God in your current situation, where you are right now and what the spiritual dimensions of it. For you died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also with Him will appear in glory. Therefore, put to death what is in you, which is of the earth, sexual immorality, impurity, lust, evil desire, and covetousness, which is idolatry. Because of these things, the wrath of God is coming upon the sons of disobedience. Let's pray, shall we? Thank you, Lord, that you have given us these truths, these words of life. You've shown us how we can come to salvation. And not more than that, we can have the image of Jesus formed in us. Lord, we pray that each one of us right now will decide to follow this truth in every way. And you will show us through your Spirit areas in our life where we have not been living out of the truth. We've been living out of the lies of Satan. We pray, Lord, you'll bring those to our hearts right now. Challenge us, Lord, and may we choose to live out of the truth. Thank you, Lord, for the victory that we have. Thank you for this amazing truth, this amazing victory in Christ Jesus. Amen.